Welcome to the Battlefield Theologian Podcast. My name is Ethan Diego and I am your host. Thank you for joining me today. This podcast is for individuals who wish to wage war against the secular culture and are willing to stand their ground on scriptural truths and Christian doctrine. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about biblical manhood or how to be a man and just a general call for men everywhere to step up to the plate and being a man that is biblically sound. But what does this look like? Now, today's podcast is directed primarily for men. However, if you're a woman, this show uh, can be for you as well on what you should be looking for in a future husband or how a man should be treating you. Uh, as a lot of people are always asking, what should I be looking for in a future husband? How should my husband treat me or what should I expect? So I hope that this can be an encouragement also to women, but this is primarily for men. Now, I want to start this podcast off with uh, bringing some staggering statistics your way concerning fathers, fatherhood. And so a lot of this is going to be specifically talking about men who are fathers, but I want to caveat this where if you're not a dad or if you don't have kids in your house anymore to not write this off, there is still a lot for you in here because especially if you're involved in the church, you can be a father figure to somebody, whether you're coaching in a team, whether you're serving in children or youth, there is principles in this that can be included and incorporated in your everyday life for the benefit of the church and for you to just be a man that is fulfilling the duties that we are outlined in scripture to follow. So starting this off, um, I want to look at some statistics concerning fathers. And one thing is how a lot of the statistics that are presented um, concerning men and fathers in research and clinical studies are biased and skewed. So what do I mean by that? Well, you may see different statistical studies put out by news media outlets uh, or other influencers or anything else talking about uh, family dynamics and uh, different issues involving raising the nuclear family and stuff like that. But what I want to say is that, um, and this was interesting as I did research for this, this show, is that the statistics for these types of studies um, on the effects of parenting, um, that health organization stuff, they're skewed. Uh, and here's how they're skewed. According to the Rutledge, Taylor, and Francis group, in the clinical and developmental literature that they put out, they found out that only 25% of the studies presented actually analyze both mothers and fathers separately. So what they're doing is these research studies is a collective study and not allowing, or not just not allowing, but not getting men to give feedback into how uh, and what a family should be affected by and how the father does in fact affect them. Well, what does this mean? Well, the reason why the statistical studies have less influence from a male figure in these studies is that the men as a whole lack the participation in these studies. And so this one journal I was reading, they were talking about how they had to advertise and as they were advertising for a statistical study in a clinical study on behavior and research, that men were 70% more difficult to actually get in to participate in the study, uh, which is really interesting because when you don't have the father's contribution uh, into the study, especially as it relates to families, you're going to be throwing off the socio-emotional and health-related concern context in these studies. So 
there's a there's a need uh, and a pressure for men to step up that the culture is advertently or inadvertently, however you want to look at this, is taking that pressure off of men to step up and be active fathers, to be active in the family. And this breaks down in a lot of many different ways. But one thing I want to talk about as we continue to look into these studies about fatherhood and man, uh, manhood and everything else is that you can be a father in terms of title, right? So you can have the term dad or father, but there's a lot more to being a father than just having the title dad. Um, I think we, we've all grown up with friends or someone else, or sadly, it might even have been your own dad in which your dad was physically there, but he wasn't mentally present. Uh, he wouldn't participate with you in things. He wouldn't spend time with you. He never really got to know you. And as you grow up, that lack of a father figure in your life uh, affects you. Uh, you know, and I see this a lot because I've been coaching kids soccer, my son's soccer team specifically, since he was about the age of five. And every time I coached these kids, it would become very clear and obvious when these children that I was coaching did not have a strong father figure in their life. Uh, and a lot of times it was evident in that I never saw a dad. It was just a the grandparents dropping them off, which was very common, or maybe just the mother dropping them off. And now I'm not saying that there aren't circumstances and situations in which a father is not there. Um, it's just sometimes. But what I'm saying is, as a majority whole, uh, the lack of father influence in little children, uh, and specifically even little boys, is very evident. Now, the thing is, is that uh, this Rutledge group that did this study showing that the men are not participating in these studies showed that some fathers, and a lot of these studies have demonstrated that the fathers have deferred the care and well-being of their children's health as something that mothers do. So what do I mean by that? Well, the father would typically assume, well, I make money all day at home or at work. My wife's at home if the wife does not, in fact, work which I got some statistics on that here in a second. So the husband comes home, the father comes home and doesn't feel any kind of pressure or desire to contribute anything else to the family other than what he is doing financially. Now that's just one, that's just sad. That's not a father who's investing. And what's happened too is that the father probably couldn't even answer what is the kid's favorite food, color, what are they learning in school, even what grade they're in. And so this study has demonstrated that these men have now deferred the care and feeding to their wives, to someone else within the household. Now, in 2021, uh, the Department of Labor released, uh, this is just a study to show you that as men have been slacking off, there's been the, I guess you could say that has been growing symbiotically, is that women have been increasing in the workforce. So listen to this, in 2021, the Department of Labor released that at least one parent was employed in 1989. All right, excuse me. At least one parent was employed in 89.1% of families with children. This has gone up from 88.5% in 2020, but it's below its 2019 value of 91.4%. Among married couples with families with children, 96.5% had at least one employed parent in 21, and in 62.3% of these families, both parents were employed. So what we see here is that there has been a, an increase, if you will, in which both parents are employed. So mother and father are working full time. Now I'm not saying that's bad, but what I'm saying is from a father perspective, if the dad's working full time, the mom's working full time, and then they come home and the dad defers the care and feeding to the kids, what is that doing to the wife? Now that wife is not only working full time, which especially if the family needs that, 
she has to be doing that. But now the wife is carrying on additional load work that the husband is not helping with, and that's a big issue. Now, let me tell you this too. Additionally, the Department of Labor did this study that in 2021, the unemployment rate for mothers decreased by 2.5 percentage points from the prior year to 5%. But the rate for fathers' unemployment has decreased by 1.8 to 3.8. So what is this saying? What it's saying is that women are inherently staying in the workforce longer and men are actually leaving in an increased rate. Well, why are the men leaving the workforce in an increased rate? Because they have been deferring the care and feeding to the wives, the mothers. So now what is it that the husbands are doing? Are they just staying at home? Like, did they do their time and now they don't have to do anything else? Well, maybe. But the sad thing is, is that across the board, men have not been stepping up to the plate and leading their families, leading in their workforce, leading in their churches, leading in their communities, and they have been deferring this to the women. So my question is, is what on earth are men doing? If you're a man listening to this, like, and and this is you, I'm not trying to condemn you, but I'm just trying to challenge you. Like, what are you doing? Like, if if all you do is work, then you come home and you don't do anything else with your family. You don't invest in your family, your kids, your wife, whether it's financially, emotionally, physically. Like, I don't know what you're doing. It's just sad because the, the problem with this is that the dynamic, the way that it's always been, and again, I'm not getting into um, can women work or not. That's not the case here. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying, though, is that the family dynamic of men being the primary breadwinner is dwindling and the women are now becoming the primary source of income. So as the women are becoming more professional in their careers and paths, the men are slacking off going out of the workforce and being the, the home stay-at-home dad, which there's nothing wrong with that as long as the father is still acting and leading his family as a man, which if the father is n- not the primary breadwinner, I think that that dynamic's kind of off. Um, and I'm not trying to condemn you. It's just food for thought. Because what is being modeled to your children is that dad stays at home, mom works. So now what happens then if you have a kid and your daughter now um, is being modeled that dad stays home, mom works, and then her husband wants to work, but he wants the wife to be at home and take care of the kids? Or what happens if the son of this father who stays at home doesn't have the ability because the woman that he marries doesn't have the ability to work full time? So now he has not had modeled work ethic from the father. Now, I'm not saying the mothers cannot train and teach their kids. Absolutely, they can. And there's a lot of great single mothers out there. But what I'm saying is that when the father figure is not the primary means of leading the family, there's a lot of ripple effects that can happen. I'm going to show you statistically here what I mean, uh, not just within, you know, the, the physical, you know, psychological sense, but also in the DNA and biological sense as well. Now, getting back to... Um, talking about men uh, decreasing and women becoming the primary breadwinners, there's uh, the Council of Contemporary Families stated this. We find that in the 18 years following the birth of their first child, about 70% of American mothers can expect to be the primary breadwinner in their household for at least one year. Now, you may be hearing that and thinking, well, what does that matter? Well, look at that. 70% of American mothers can expect to be the primary breadwinner in their household for at least one year. Again, this is not condemning women. If anything, this is 
applauding women for stepping up to the plate and carrying the torch for where men have not been. So what on earth is happening here? Men have become increasingly lazy. And there's multiple reasons why I believe this has been happening. But essentially what I believe it has come down to is the culture that we live in and the environment that we live in has become so entertainment-based that men have now just sought after their own passions and desires and want the status potentially of being a father, but are, are unwilling to contribute, log the time, effort, and energy into being an active dad. You can be a passive dad or you can be an active dad. Passive dads just come home, vegetate on the couch, go golf, never spend time with their family, always looking for excuses to not invest in their kids. Active dads are not only just working, they're coming home, they're playing with their kids, they're hanging out with their kids, they're talking to their kids, they're getting to know their kids. So if you're a dad, do you know your kids? Have you been talking to your kids? Uh, do you know what they like? Just taking them to soccer practice or football practice is not knowing your kid. That's well done, well done. I mean, you're doing what you're supposed to do for having a child. But do you actually know your kid? And what I've seen uh, within uh, when I was in young adult ministry is that a lot of these young men and women, when they're in their college years, are looking for father type figures to latch on to because they've never had a strong male role in their life. And what I've seen even worse is in the church, as the mothers are now the primary breadwinners in the mid 1980s, 38 percent of women and 25% of men attended church at least once a week in America. That's a 13-point gender gap, and this is according to Pew Research Analysis of uh, the general social survey data. So think about that. 38% of women attend church at least once in America. This was in the 80s. And only 25% of men did. Now, a lot of times what you'll see, too, is the men stay at home and the moms take the kids to church. Well... Now let's look at what does this look like with quote-unquote religiously affiliated men and women in the church and what is the retention rate for them. In the mid-1980s, 18 or excuse me, in the mid 1980s, 40% of religiously affiliated women attended church at least weekly. Now, the attendance, however, with the men has declined. It has dropped to 24% in the mid-1990s. So in the 80s, it was at 25%. Then in the 90s, it dropped to 24, and it continues to drop. Now, Pew continually analyzed this, and among the 53 nations that Pew analyzed with the Christian respondents, there is an average difference of seven percentage points between men and women. What does this say? This tells me, too, that women are stepping up into the role that men should be having within the home and within the church. And the men are doing what? They're shrinking back, becoming cowards, and not leading their families. Men, you are shrinking back from being the spiritual and physical leader of your family. Again, I'm not saying women cannot work. What I'm saying is that men, you need to step up at home, work, and at church. Stop delegating what God has mandated us to do and telling your wives to do it. Now, here's another thing that I've commonly heard with men, and men, I'm calling you out if this is you. I've heard some men state, well, I can't really relate to my kids when they're babies. You know, once they get to a certain age, then I can help. Then I can influence and help the kids. I, I don't know how to relate to them. Okay, that, that's a big issue as well. You're called to care and take 
genderly, gingerly care of your children, depend regardless of their age. Now, here's what's interesting about all of this is that a lot of men uh, leading up to now, you may be listening to this say, "Man, I'm not married. Uh, I don't have kids. Uh, I'm single." All right. Well, if you're single, guess what? What you're doing now is laying the foundation for when you do become married, laying the foundation for when you are a father. Now, if you're a father right now and you've got young kids or you've got, you know, kids in middle school, elementary school, or even high school, it's not too late. Guys, it's not too late. Don't think it's, it's, they're too far gone that you can't come back and start stepping up and being a father. Confess to God, confess to your family and just start leading. But here's what I want to say. If you are yet to have kids or even married, I want to, I want to state some, some contributions research has shown us, especially within uh, the biological means, if you will, of what you do prior to having kids and how that can affect your kids. Now, there's been nearly 50 years of research that have highlighted the profound contributions fathers make to the children's development. See, fathers are a critical component in a child's development. For example, scientists have pioneered models of the social, ecological, clinical, and biological factors that shape fathers' caregiving behavior that may affect children. Well, what does that mean? Well, what this means is that even before you become a father, what you do or don't do before their birth and even after their birth affects the kids. Now, listen to this. This was from a uh, statistical study from Moss and Harris. Fathers' health behaviors before conception influence their genetic contributions to their children. For example, in a longitudinal study of a nationally representative sample of U.S. couples, expectant fathers' diabetes and fast food consumption predicted infants' lower gestational age at delivery. So that affects the health of the child at the time in which they are being delivered, uh, which is why we've seen increase in premature births. Now, I'm not saying this is something in relating to you know the genetics, but what I'm saying is that based off of a father's eating habits, this can affect the birth of your child and the infant. Now, not just that, in another longitudinal study, of a nationally representative sample of U.S. couples, mothers' reports of fathers' obesity were associated with insulin-like growth factor 2 in infants. Not only that, but expectant fathers' alcohol use was a risk factor for subsequent alcohol use and alcohol sensitivity in children. In short, although most public health guidance on prenatal and preconception health is targeted to mothers, Father's preconception health behaviors also influence children. So what, is I, what am I saying here? Men, if you're single, you're not yet a father. If you're already a father, you need to make healthy decisions and habits. And you need to encourage other fathers to make healthy decisions and habits. What you are doing or not doing right now will have a ripple effect of your children. So what am I saying? Go outside, exercise, be active, and also keep your body in check. Uh, there's a verse that I like that Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.8. It says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So what am I saying is this? Is that Paul is attributing physical health as being helpful, if not helpful necessity, a necessity of a Christian man. But not just that. A Christian man must must have a view of godliness in sight. This is what he's saying in 1 Timothy 4.8. He's saying, men, don't over-prioritize your physical body, but you also need to prioritize your spiritual body. 
Having a in-shape physical body is important, but it's not as important as having an in-shape spiritual knowledge of who God is. Because when you become a father, don't expect that magically now somehow you're going to become disciplined. If you're not disciplined now and what you do as behaviors and patterns and habits now it is going to be amplified when you have kids and when you're married. When I got married, I knew that there was little habits of mine that I didn't realize until I got married and then Diane would call me out on it or that I didn't realize that I did until my kids called me out on it. And that's a great thing about kids is they're brutally honest. They'll tell you when you got a booger hanging out of your face or if your face looks weird or anything else. They'll also tell you when you're not doing something that uh, you need to be doing. Now, I'm not saying that kids can't overabuse that with dad constantly take me to the park. I'm not saying that you need to be a slave to your children. What I'm saying is you need to be available for your children and the disciplines and habits that you create and do now is going to help you or hurt you later on. So here's another thing is that I know a lot of individuals did not have fathers or were not modeled discipline as a kid. You know, I remember waking up uh, as a child and my dad always, I don't know how he did this. I can't do this. I, this is just too much for me. I think this is like the old school mentality that I just can't maintain. My dad would wake up at 4 a.m. He would read his Bible and then he'd go to the gym, shower, come back by the time we were waking up. I mean, I can't do that. I could not do that. Waking up at 4 a.m. He was so disciplined. He'd wake up at 4 do his devotions, go to the gym, lift, work out, come back, shower, and then get us into the car and then take us to school. My father modeled that to me. Now, granted, I don't wake up at 4 a.m. Uh, I promised myself going through military training, I will never voluntarily wake up before 5. But what I am doing, though, is I am modeling to my kids when I wake up, spending time in God's word, letting them see me. Uh, not to show off, and be like, look at me, kids, but modeling the discipline to them, showing them my work ethic. Because what you model to your kids and to others is way more important than what you tell people to do. You can tell people to do something all day long, but if you're not modeling it or doing it yourself, you're going to be called a hypocrite and a lot of people are going to lose respect for you. So if, if you're a father, you need to be developing these disciplines and modeling it to your children and modeling it to your wife. If you're not a dad and you're not married yet, you need to be honing in your discipline tactics right now. Uh, you, you've got to start this habit now and it doesn't take a lot. Uh, commit three weeks to doing something and then add something else because when you get married and when you have kids, you'll realize how much free time you actually had. I remember when we had our first kid, uh, Diane and I were like, man, I, what did we do with all that free time? And then when we had our second kid, we thought, man, we had so much free time when we had our first kid and so forth and so on. So what I'm trying to tell you is that Everything that you do, your discipline starts now. You must step up and fully commit and make intentional efforts at becoming disciplined. That's in your work ethic, your home life, your hobbies, your spiritual life, and your church commitment. And one thing that I've just always felt very strongly about is that you may enjoy watching sports or playing video games. And you may have time now prior to being married, or if your wife gives you time, uh, which we can talk about this in a second, or you don't have kids, but if you allow video games or sports, watching sports specifically, or even an ho a hobby, if you allow that to dictate your life, there is an issue that you're gonna be dealing with later. So let me give you some statistics. 
So there's a statistical study on one item is the amount of time men spend watching sports. So the level of interest in the NFL in the United States shows that 46% of all male respondents were avid fans of the NFLs of May 2022. So males aged between 25 and 34 spend an average of 4.77 hours per day watching sports or doing leisure activities. So let's, let's think about this real quick. That's 4.77 hours a day. You work, let's just say eight hours a day, if you're working, which you should be, if you're able to physically, if you work eight hours a day and then you spend an additional 4.77 hours on leisure activities or watching sports, when are you having time for your family? That's almost, well, that's almost 13 hours. Your kids, I mean, your kids aren't staying up late with you. You're probably not waking up early enough to spend time with your kids. And if you are spending a little bit of time with your kids, it's not nearly enough. So what I'm trying to say is that you invest your time, money, and resources into what you value. And if you're spending your time, money, and resources into your leisure activities and into watching sports, what is that showing to your family what you value over them? Just because you pay for the bills, your house, the cars, their school, that's not enough. There's more to being a father and a man than just that. You must be committed to the welfare of those within your protection. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Now, this is specifically talking about the role of an overseer or a pastor within the church. However, there's no reason why Christian men should not be meeting the standards outlined in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Because there's one thing that we've we've realized at churches um, that my wife and I would, when we were in the military, going from church to church, is finding godly men within the church. Sometimes there would be a an exuberant amount, and then other times it would be lacking. But what I've been noticing across the board in the landscape with other pastors and other people I've talked to is that finding men that will step up and lead within the church is getting fewer and fewer. So I want to go down the list real quick. What is described in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 for the elder overseers and pastor, but there's no reason why we as men cannot and should not meet this list and be ready to step up in a form of leadership within the church. I'm not saying that you know you need to follow this list so you can be a pastor, but what I'm saying is why not set the bar high, right? Set the bar high, which as, you, as I go through this list, it's nothing that crazy, but sadly in this culture it is. And if we are to be men of God, separated apart from the world, but yet still in the world, we need to be modeling and demonstrating character much different than that of the world. Okay, so looking at 1 Timothy and in Titus, these are what's known as the pastoral epistles. The first one we see is, uh, they're supposed to be above reproach. This is 1 Timothy 3, 2, and in Titus 1, 6, and 7. So above reproach. Well, what does that mean? What this means is that you're living a life that people don't accuse you of doing something that's not consistent with your character, right? So you're living a holy life. 1 Timothy 3, 2, and in Titus 1, 6, husband of one wife. This is talking about marital faithfulness, right? This is a one-woman man. So this is showing that if you are married, you are committed to only your wife. You're not out there flirting with other women. You're not out there DMing and texting other women. You are a one-woman man. You are devoted to your wife and your wife alone. 
1 Timothy 3, 2, and in Titus 1, 8, it is called sober-minded or disciplined. That's what we were just talking about. Men, you need to be disciplined. 1 Timothy 3, 2, and in Titus 1, 8, you need to be self-controlled. This is someone who's not quick to anger. This is someone who can control their emotions, who doesn't just do knee-jerk reactions all the time. 1 Timothy 3, 2 says they are respectable, right? So people view them and they want to uh, respect the individual because of the way in which this individual's conducted their life. I mean, we've often met people or worked for people that is, you know, we respect their title, but we don't respect the person. You know, I remember the military, I always heard people say, respect the rank. Well, yes, you are correct. I should respect your rank, but if your character is not modeling respect, then I'm not going to afford you respect when you are disrespectful to other individuals. So when you're respectable, uh, that means that people respect you probably because you are respecting others as well. All right, 1 Timothy 3, 2, and in Titus 1, 8, men, you are supposed to be hospitable, right? So if your family wants to go do something or have friends over, you're not going to be, you know, Scrooge McDuck saying, bah humbug, no thank you. If God's given you the gifts that you have for his glory, you need to be using those to affect the kingdom and to show hospitality to others. Now, 1 Timothy 3, 2, and in Titus 1, 9, uh, this is, again, this is specifically for if an individual is called to be an elder or a pastor, this means that you're able to teach or able to give instruction. But I'd like to say that men, if you're a father, you should be able to teach your kids and you should be able to give instruction to your kids how to tie their shoes, how to make their bed, how to brush their teeth, how to ride a bike. Uh, that should be like a, the default position for men. It's not something you should brag about. Like, yeah, I just taught my kid how to ride a bike. Yes, it is braggable because like that's exciting, but it's not like give me some attaboys that I went above and beyond. No, that's what's required of you. So teach your kids, you know, work with them. First Timothy 3.3 3 in Titus 1.7 says, not a drunkard. Uh, so what does this mean? You're not getting drunk and blitzed all the time. You're sitting down, watching the football game. You're going out with the buddies. You're not getting, sitting down to get drunk. Because what is that showing to your kids? I remember growing up, uh, a lot of my friends' dads were drunks. And my parents stopped letting me go over to some of their houses because all their dad do would do is just sit there and crack open Coors Lights and this dude would get blitzed. And I remember he would scream and yell at us. And most of the time, uh, people who are drunk amplifies their true character. So if you're a naturally angry person, when you're drunk, you're going to be even more angry. But guess what, men? You're not to be a drunkard. Stop it. Put it away. All right, 1 Timothy 3.3 3, and in one seven of Titus, not violent but gentle, right? Now, what I'm saying with this is you are not a hard disciplinarian. You are not a violent, abusive individual, whether that's verbal or physical, Men, you cannot make these passive-aggressive comments at your wife and being verbally abusive. I have heard and have witnessed horrific times in which I've heard men berate their wives with passive-aggressive, violent comments. You cannot do that, guys. You cannot do that. You are the leader of that household. You should be gentle in handling with your family. 1 Timothy 3, 3 and in Titus 1, 7, not quarrelsome. What does this mean? Well, in Titus 1, 7, not to be arrogant or quick-tempered. Do not provoke your kids to anger. Do not argue and pick on your kids. Now, granted, yes, it's fun to pick on the kids, and there's a level in which you can pick on them. But if you're doing this to get them angry at you, like, how is that in your benefit? 
If you keep poking your kids and making them angry, making them sad, they're going to resent you. And then when they become older, you're going to sit there, well, what happened? I don't know what I did wrong. You've been provoking your children to anger. Stop that. You're not supposed to be doing this. You're not supposed to be quick tempered. Now, a lot of times too, especially when the kids mess up, you, you sometimes, and myself falls into this category, you react very quickly and you might've gotten a little quick tempered, but guess what? You need to make sure you apologize to your kids. Uh, don't be this egotistical maniac thinking, well, I'm the dad. I don't need to apologize to my family. Yeah, you do. Because we need to model an example to our sons and daughters for how they know that they should be treated or what is a normal response. Same thing with your wife as well. You need to be uh, ensuring that you're quick to ask for forgiveness and apologize and not be quarrelsome or quick-tempered. All right, for Timothy 3, 3 and 1, 7 of Titus, not a lover of money, not greedy for gain. Don't let money be the primary means for why you do anything, right? Money is never a driving force or should never be a primary driving force in your life. If you are loving money and you're seeking constantly after money, you will neglect your family. That extra 20 grand on that business deal you got, okay, cool, you got that, then what? Don't think that you can buy your kids off with expensive toys and gifts. I think we all see this at Christmas time. You can buy your kid an incredible gift and they're rathering play with the box. I don't know, I don't know how that works, but what this is saying is that men do not be a lover of money. All right, now, 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5, and in Titus 1, 7, manage his own household and family well, and then care for God's church. This is specifically now talking about a pastoral role in the latter section, but in the primary section of this, man, you should be able to manage your own household and family well. That means you take care of your family. You're managing them, not dictating them. You're managing them, providing for them, caring for them, disciplining them, discipling them, teaching them, loving them. That is what you're supposed to be doing. 1 Timothy 3, 4, keeping his children submissive. This is meaning that they are not rebellious, wild, or unruly. This means that they listen and respect others and their parents. Um, and then 1 Timothy 3, 6, not a recent convert. That's specifically talking about pastor. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, 7, well thought of by outsiders. So what kind of a reputation do you have, men? Are you well thought of by outsiders? Or do people say, uh-uh, you don't want to go mess with him. Don't step on his property. Don't do anything that he's... He's not going to be good. He's going to be mean. So here's what I'm trying to show you guys is that there is standards set forth in scripture that we as men need to follow. Now, again, I'm not saying that you need to be following every single item in 1 Timothy 3 because that is specifically for a pastor. But what I'm saying is you should set that bar for that location because in a way you are ministering or should be ministering to your family, not in the pastoral sense on a Sunday morning, but in a small family setting within your own home. So what are you doing now? You're not living in isolation, right? If, if you are not married, guess what? And you're a man, you need to be stepping up at the church. You need to be helping out other individuals who don't have father figures in their life. You're not to be called a self-serving individual, okay? You are called to live for others, for the protection of others, and to point others to Christ. All right, now here's some eight biblical takeaways on how to pursue biblical manhood, all right? First one, godly men seeks to please Christ, not others. In Galatians 1.10, it says this, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. Our society tells men what they should do to be manly and how to win friends and influence people. Why? 
What is the point of pleasing everyone around you, and yet you are failing to fulfill the commands God has revealed in Scripture for what a man is supposed to do? And we just unpack some of that. Take care of your family, prioritize your family, and you are seeking to please Christ, not your buddies, not to get a laugh out of your buddies. Uh, the second thing, godly men should live a moral life. Look at Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does Yahweh require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Men, anyone can blend in with the environment they are surrounded with. Drinking, strip clubs, adulterous behavior, and crude jokes. But godly men take a stand for the morality of Scripture to do what is right when everyone around them is not because they live their life in fear of God and submit to him. See, that I think is a very, that's a, that's a bold statement there. If men start living a moral life, we will start to affect the culture in a very positive way. Not because morality is what saves people, but it is Christ alone that saves people. And if more Christian men step up and fulfill what we are told to do as men within scripture, just think about how we could affect our workplaces, sports environments, you name it. Number three, godly men don't complain. Look at Philippians 2 verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. It's too easy, guys, for us to jump on the bandwagon and complain about situations, about bad jobs, bosses, our spouse, our children, our finances. However, godly men understand and accept the sovereignty of God in all aspects of their life. They don't complain about their situations. They observe what is happening. They orient themselves to scripture and decide on how to act, and then they do it. Stop sitting around complaining and be a leader in your family and workplace. There's nothing I can stand, I can't stand more is than when people bring up issues and problems and they fail to present a solution. Yes, we all know what issues are within the workplace or within the church or wherever else. But are you a part of the problem or are you part of the solution? If you've identified the problem, step up and fix it. Step up and volunteer. Stop waiting and complaining and hopefully someone else is going to step up. Why not you step up as a man and do it? No one's going to, I don't think anyone in any situation is going to knock you for stepping up and doing something that needed to get done, right? Like other people may ridicule you, but like, oh, well, what's he jockeying for? It doesn't matter. Who cares what they think? Because again, we're not looking to please man. We're looking to please God. All right. Number four, godly men are not selfish. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain glory, but with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than yourselves. Men, you must prioritize others before yourself. God entrusts you with protecting your family, providing for your family, and prioritizing your family's needs before your own. Don't complain you worked a 12-hour day. God gave you the physical and mental ability to earn money to provide and care for your family. All right? Quit complaining that, oh, well, I had to work a whole long day. Whatever, dude. Get over it. Right? Don't guilt your family for doing what is required of you. If God gave you the physical and mental ability to do it and to provide and to care, Amen, brother. Go and do it. But don't sit there and martyr yourself in front of your family. Like, yeah, can you have a bad day? And yes, can you have a lazy day? Absolutely, I, you can. And I do it. But don't sit there and make that the norm. You should not be selfish. You must prioritize other individuals. Number five, godly men look out for others. Philippians 2.4, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Godly men who aren't selfish will be available to help others when they need help. Your skill set, your giftings and talents were not given to you by God for your self-fulfillment. Instead, look at what you have. Look at your giftings to see how you can help others in need. 
man, God has given you the unique innate ability to do things that not many other people can do. But what are you doing with those skills? What are you doing with your talents and abilities? Are you helping others with it? Are you using it to fulfill yourself? Or are you one of those individuals that everything is transactional? Oh, well, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Man, if you have the ability and the time to do it, do it, right? And if you don't have the time, make time because this is what we're supposed to do. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, we see that we have all things or the church is supposed to have all things in common. This is talking about helping each other out in times of need. All right, number six, godly men have discipline and they have disciplined themselves. First Corinthians 9, verse 27, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Also, in 1 Peter 1.16, it's telling us to be holy. So we are to discipline ourselves after holiness. Let me ask you this, guys. Do you have a sin or addiction that you're struggling with that you keep losing? If you are, you need to stop it. How does this, how does this come about? By disciplining yourself. Don't let your emotions dictate how you feel, think, or behave. Do not give in to what your body is telling you to do when your body is telling you to give in and do it. Develop the strong habits of disciplining yourself towards holiness. So if there's no, uh, if there's a specific place, instance, or thing that triggers a sin that you are fighting and combating, don't go near that place. Don't go near that device. Don't go near whatever it is that is tempting you. You've got to step up and quit blaming and shifting the blame to others. Discipline yourself. Number seven, godly men are blessed with a wife. Proverbs 18 verse 22 says this, He who obtains a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from Yahweh. Since God is sovereign over everyone and everything, if you are married, you have obtained favor from God in your wife. Your wife should be and is your delight that God has blessed you with. You need to care for her, protect her, love her, prioritize time with her, lead her, teach her, disciple her. Stop outsourcing this critical component of marriage to an outside source. The Lord has entrusted you to care for your wife. And if you are yet to be married, hone your craft now. Make the disciplines and discipleship investments now that will pay off. So when you do get blessed with a wife, you can lead her in a godly manner and point her to Christ. Number eight, last one. Godly men love and respect their wives. I feel like I shouldn't have to say this, but sadly, that's not the case. Look at 1 Corinthians 11.3, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is head of a woman and God is ahead of Christ. And then 1 Corinthians 11.7, for a man ought to not have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. What is this saying? Paul is saying that the way in which our gender roles are is that Christ is the head of every man, the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. So this is the hierarchical structure here for how we are to view this. Men, what this is saying is that you are responsible for your wife. You're responsible for her well-being. You are responsible for her treating. And guess what? In 1 Corinthians eleven seven, and this is what I think so many men forget to realize, the woman is the glory of man. You need to treat your wife the same, if not better, than how you would treat yourself. Let me say that again. If you treat your wife better or the same as yourself, then you are good. But... Are you neglecting your wife? Would you treat your wife less than your own self? If you are treating your wife less than your own self, then that's backwards. 
As a man, you answer to God and your wife answers to you, but you do not lord it over your wife as a dictator. You need to love your wife as Christ loves you, be compassionate and caring, and prioritize time with your wife. Why? Because you will give an account to God in how you treat your wife and kids. So love your wife, who is the glory that God has blessed you with. So guys, I, I hope this helps. Um, I'm not trying to beat anybody over the head with this, but at the same time, men, we've got to step up. We have got to step up. The women are crushing it out there right now. And women, way to go. Men, you need to step up. Love your wives. Lead your wives. Love your kids. Invest time with your families. You need to do a heart check to see what are you doing right now to invest in your future. Whether that's with your kids, whether that's your future kids, future grandparent, whatever. What I'm saying is that men, you need to start stepping up to the plate of what God has called us as men to do. We've got to change these statistics. Men, you need to be active in the family, active in your kids, active with your wife, not a verbally or physically abusive of your wife and kids, but loving and supporting them, treating your wife as if you are treating your own body that way, but do so better. Well, Thank you guys for joining us on the Battlefield Theologian Podcast. I hope this encourages you and motivates you to step up to be a man. Stop relying on others to do the things for you. Be a leader wherever God has you to the glory of God. Remember, we must always weigh what is being said and taught and compare it with Scripture. We are to be good Bereans, as seen in Acts 17.11. I pray that if you are a man, this encourages you or challenges you. And if you are a woman, I hope that this demonstrates and points at some principles of how a man should be treating you or what you should be looking for in a future husband. Thank you again. Signing off.